we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, the global phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas. And an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS. This is John Allure. And this is Who Killed Teresa. This wrinkle in time, I can't give it no credit. I thought about my space, and I really got me down. It got me down, I got me so down. I got me a headache My heart is cramped in my cranium And it still knows how to pound I was counting the rings And I fell me into a sleep I, 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 had, I had this dream this week See, uh See if you can put the pieces together. So um, I'm I'm in Montreal and I'm lost, and uh, and I have a suitcase with me and I, I have no way of traveling, and um, I I just know I need to go and meet my parents, so I I go to this um, like bus or metro station and ask the attendant for directions and um he says well you're you're about 40 miles away from where you need to get to um and so i'm i'm distraught because i realize that a 40 mile taxi i don't have enough money uh to take the tax the taxi i'm i'm like close to tears and these two guys come up and they say you know and they and they're kind of they're kind of cavalier sincere but there's a joking attitude to their sincerity and they said well we'll help you we'll drive you there i say really okay thank you and they they appear shady but i'm desperate right i don't have the money i i I don't know where i'm going um i don't know what to do so i get in this car with these two guys in the back seat with my suitcase and we we start driving and um slowly it dawns on me that i'm not I'm not my adult self. Uh, I'm not like six foot two, you know, in my 50s. I'm my, I'm my child self, right? And, and so feeling vulnerable. And um, I start noticing that I don't, I, I'll, despite the fact that I'm lost, I don't notice any of the milestones along the way, any of the markers. I don't know where I am. And I say, I don't think this is the right way. And they say, oh, we'll get you to where you need to go. We just want to show you something first. Um, so we stop along this back road and by these woods. And, you know, I'm I'm delirious disoriented lost vulnerable you know in tears and they say just come into the woods with us we want to we want to show you something and because i'm i'm not myself i i i agree to this right so i'm i'm going into the woods with these two men and as i'm going into the woods it suddenly dawns on me that not only am i not my adult self i'm not me i'm one of these women young vulnerable hunted 
going to go back today and continue with the the thread, the story we were talking about, the the eight murders uh, unsolved in the region. This is a La Presse article from December 11th, 1999, and it's how we started the, the year, and we will continue today with the case of uh, Marie-Chantal Desjardins. Uh, but before we do, I think uh, a recap would be a good idea because it's been a good six weeks um, when we left off with Melanie Cabay. So let's let's go back and 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 today um, I just uh, I'm not going to apologize um, for it. I'm just giving you advance notice. You're going to get whiplash going back and forth in time with these these segments um, because they all resonate each other and they all comment or foretell each other um but it can be confusing but <laughs> i'll try to I'll, I'll i'll try to steer you along so to recap in, in december 11th 1999 la presse publishes this article about eight unsolved murders um in the quebec uh, montreal laval region dating from 1987 to 1995 now the first one we covered briefly was liette gibb um, um, it disappears uh, in Laval, found an assumption, still unsolved. The second one was Sophie Landry. It's the woman who was stabbed 172 times, a woman, 16-year-old. And um, Guy Couteau is currently serving a life sentence for the murder of Sophie Landry. The third one is Chantal Rachon, 1983. Disappears from Blainville, found in the woods in Blainville. Blainville is just off the island of uh, Laval. Uh, Valerie Delpay um, was found in garbage sacks in pieces uh, at a garbage dump in Montreal. Uh, Marie-Eva Lara um 1992, is a Laval case. Uh, she got lost going out one evening, finding, trying to look for uh, a baguette for dinner with her parents and friends. She wound up... Um, dead in an industrial zone in Laval uh, near um, some railway tracks. Um, again, the majority of these are, are sexual assaults and strangulation. And then we left off with Melanie Cabay, 19 years old, disappears from a Hunsik and is found um, in Mascouche. Um, and that's the one where we talked about uh, the potential of uh, the, the offender Claude LaRouche uh, is, uh, could possibly be responsible for um, Cabet's death. There's a description that matches his descriptions of a guy that was seen in the area at that time. He lived in the area of uh, Hunsik, etc., etc. So now um, with this we go to uh, uh, Marie-Chantel Desjardins. And, and before we, we do, let's Let's give you some geography, because I keep assuming uh, you're in my head and you know Montreal, but you don't. Um, but <clears throat> or some of you do, and some of you don't. But um, to, to orient you, um, if you've ever if you've ever visited Montreal, um, let's assume I'm going to assume that you, the one place you went is you went to Mount Royal. You went up on the mountain. And you looked at the beautiful view of the of the city. Well, if you're looking at the city, you're looking uh, basically southeast. So what I want you to do is turn around 180 degrees, and now you're kind of facing northwest. And so you're going to travel across the island of Montreal, uh, when you get to Ahuntsic, which you will from the mount, you're going to cross um, La Prairie River, and now you're on the island of Laval. And you're going to go all across Laval, and now you're going to cross Second River, which is uh, Riviere Mille-Îles. Um, and as we've said before, all of these rivers are really, um, it's the St. Lawrence River splitting the islands of Montreal and Laval. So you've crossed Mille-Îles, and now you're in a Rosemere, uh, Quebec. And that's uh, where we're going to be today for the case of Marie uh, Chantal Desjardins in the St. Therese uh, Rosemere uh, area. Now, 
Um, Mary Chantal was a 10-year-old girl, and um, she had recently moved to Saint-Thérèse, which is um, basically the, the towns of Saint-Thérèse and uh, Rosemere are bisected by an auto route, auto route 640. So if you're north of the auto route, you're in Saint-Thérèse. If you're south of the auto route, you're on in Rosemere, which is just at the adjacent to the St. Lawrence River. And um, so she she lives uh, in Saint-Thérèse, as I say. She recently moved there. Um, her mother, she'd had some upheaval the, 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 um, the year prior to her death. Um, mother um, had a new boyfriend. Her grandfather recently died, and she was having some, some trouble in school. And um, so on Saturday, July 16th, uh, she, um, she's out riding her bike around um, uh, St. Therese. She's, uh, um, her, her mother gives her like 20 bucks, says, hey, why don't you go play at the arcade? Um, uh, so she does. Um, she's, she's viewed around, uh, town and on riding her bike. Um, and the last time, uh, she's seen is around nine thirty on the 16th. And, um, she, she goes, she goes missing, um, for, for four days. And, and again, the, this is like deja vu all over again, right? Because you know what's going to unfold next. They're going the, the the authorities immediately say because of the upheaval in the home that she's she's run away, uh, and uh, the the mother is steadfastly she's against this. The mother's name is Sylvie, and she says. Um, no, um, she had no reason to run away. In fact, she was she was looking forward to her summer vacation and going camping. Now, I can't remember where we've heard that one before, but I know in one of these cases we've heard the exact same uh, language. That and she's insisting she's not a runaway. In fact, she goes so far, uh, Sylvie goes so far as to say, uh, "I know something bad has happened," and. You know, by the fourth day, she's like, I know she's, I know she's dead. Now, around 11.30 a.m. on um, July 20th, a, uh, a girl is, is, uh, is behind the Rosemere uh, shopping center. I believe it's called Plus. Rose Mere. And uh, if you know uh, Place uh, Rosemere, and I do, um, it's much bigger now. It, 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 it used to be just the front portion of it where the Hudson's Bay Company is. It was a smaller mall. And back where the Walmart is now, and sort of an extension of the mall, that was a wooded, wooded area. And... Um, uh, Marie Chantel is found in that uh, wooded area. Uh, she's found naked with her personal effects near the body, and she's been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. And her her bike is found um, nearby uh, those those woods. Now. The reason I know this um, this area so well is my my brother lives in walk for like walking distance from this mall and has probably for about I guess twenty years now. So I go there. I, I mean, I didn't know it until recently that she had been been murdered um, there, but um, 
I mean, you walk down the street, there's the golf course, you cross the street, and there you are at Place, uh, Place Rosemere, the shopping center. And, uh, you know, I've been in that Walmart. There's a like a sporting goods sh- store in the back where the woods would have been that I was, I was there two years ago buying um, some boat shoes for my daughters. So I know it really, I know it really uh, well, which is um, a little... Uh, you know, a little disturbing. And um, yet what else is disturbing is that, you know, the notion of the, the, the runaway, the bike, you know, all of this is resonating. We've heard this before, right? Uh, uh, we've heard it in the past and we'll hear it again in the future. In 2007, I think I got it right, is when the Cedrica Provencher disappears She's uh, last seen trying to help a man find his dog on her bike. The bike is eventually recovered. We we heard it in the past. We heard it. Uh, we touched on this case briefly from seventy seven. The case of uh, Claudette Poirier. She's a girl from Drummondville who is camping with her parents. She goes to ride her bike and she disappears, and her body's found ten years later. Remarkably like Provencher, whose body is not found until nearly a decade later. Um, so all of this is um, is very bizarre. I bring up Claudette Poirier. Uh, I know we barely touched on this case, um, but it's it's an interesting case. You know, in doing research, I found. Do you know that? Two years after she disappeared, her brother Bruno disappeared. Both um, both fifteen at the time. In seventy seven, uh, Claudette was fifteen, and then in seventy nine, when Bruno disappeared, he was fifteen. Now Claudette was eventually found. I don't think Bruno ever was. I mean, can, what can you imagine? I mean, what are the odds that? that something like something like that would would happen i mean it's just uh, remarkable and and so so tragic now it it goes without saying that uh, uh Marie Chantel's case is a cold case to this day it is it's be, because of where she's found it's a it's a Certe du Québec case, and she's on the website. And I'll put a picture of her up. They're all tragic, these things. But when you see this 10-year-old girl, and you can infer what she must have suffered, it, it, it's, it's one of the reasons why I stalled for six weeks, because... Um, it's it's a lot, you know, and um, you, you know the newspapers they interview like her her thirteen year old brother, and he just says, you know, she was a lovely kid. She liked riding her bike. She liked dance music um, from you know the early nineteen nineties stuff like that. And when you see this brother, you know, he's like three years old. Her, her big brother. There's pictures of him at the funeral and that, and and he, you know, he just looks lost. Uh, yeah, actually, he looks a lot like me when I was 14 and lost my sister. That's exactly how he looks. And, um, you know, as I say, it, it, it just, uh, it's, it's really hard. And, um, you know, one of the things is, uh, in the, in the newspaper articles, because this happens, so close to Melanie Cabet. It happens within a, a month. Cabet's murders in, in June 94, uh, Desjardins in July 94. So uh, you can't help. Of course, the newspapers are saying, is, is, there, is there some kind of connection here? Is, is there a, a link with these, with these cases? Um, and I would, um, I would argue that that... You know, possibly there there is, but before we get there, let's let's finish up a, a few more things of of what occurred at the time. 
So like a month later in August, an, another body is, is found, um, a, a naked body in Laval in an industrial area, a 20 to 30-year-old uh, girl in the Chamity region of Laval, which I believe is where uh, um, Marie-Ève uh, Larivier was found, right, in an industri industrial area. I, I don't, remains to be seen if um, the case is connected. I, I have not been able to figure out who this woman was, but um, it's like, what is going on in the summer of 84, uh, right? I mean, it's analogous to what was happening in the summer of 77, deja vu all over again. Um, by the By the end of August... Uh, the newspaper's report of a mysterious cyclist um, that was was seen, was spotted uh, with um, uh, uh, Marie Chantel. A man on a bike is seen in, uh, near her around the time of her dis disappearance that Saturday, uh, that Saturday evening. And then... Um, we move into the fall, into September, then the, uh, the, the, the case is still cold. But um, at this time, they, um, and it's the first I've heard this, uh, they get the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, to do a criminal profile of who potentially could have murdered um, uh, Marie Chantal. Um, and some of what they say is, is, will strike you as quite obvious, um, but it is interesting. They say um, the profile is of a white adult uh, male, uh, French-speaking, probably lives and works in the St. Therese area, lives or works in the St. Therese area, has an inferiority complex, so now we're moving into personality, a non-smoker, um, average-looking, or below average looking, uh, sense of sexual inadequacy, and frequently goes to places young people go, like potentially you would think maybe an arcade. Um, and then, and then finally, in in December, December twenty eighth, ninety four, the story is brought up again that she's she's still missing, but they. Uh, this time, instead of referencing uh, Cabet, they reference a, a case we've not discussed before. And this is the case of Chantelle uh, Brochu. Now, Brochu is a 1992 case. Uh, she's 22-year-old. She's at a nightclub one night in Outremont, um, which is kind of central to Montreal. It's just at the base of the... We talked about Mount Royal. So it's just the base of Mount Royal on the... On the um, north side uh she, uh she leaves the club um she's raped and strangled uh in um in like a a, a church yard nearby and um and a guy like a 37 year old guy is later of not obviously this time a couple of years later he's arrested named robert leblanc um but so, so we're getting you know we're getting what i'm saying is we're getting um suffocated and stifled um, by these cases. And uh, just put that one in your back pocket for now. I only mention it because the article mentioned it, but we'll, we'll get back to Chantel uh, Brochu. But um, in, in looking at these things, so let me first uh, state... Uh, so we got we, we got Guy Couteau who killed Sophie Landry. We got Claude LaRouche who in 2009 murders Natasha Cornoyer and looks like a viable suspect for um, Melanie Cabet. Um, now, the next thing I'm going to say uh, before I get to the next thing, let's just say there's there's any number of guys, offenders who could step in and be responsible for these crimes. Um, so take what I'm about to say with a, like a, a pound of salt. Um, but 
it, it's interesting that, you know, the uh, the only other case we know from Rose Mirror that we've talked about is a 1977 case of uh, Chantelle Tremblay. Tremblay leaves her home in Rosemere. She takes the bus to the Henri Barassa uh, metro station and disappears. And two years later, her, her body turns up just north of, of Rosemere. Um, very interesting that, I mean, I was just looking at a map um, that that metro station is just is sits on the north face of the Ahuntsic Park. If you go to the south face of the Ahuntsic Park, that's where Melanie Cabay disappeared from. And if you go to the the east face of the park, walk about five blocks down the road, that's where Claude LaRouche uh, lived. Now, I'm not I'm not suggesting that LaRouche murdered um, Chantel Tremblay. He was too young. This is that portion is just a, a coincidental thing. But in 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 looking at LaRouche as a potential suspect for uh, the ten year old Marie Chantal Desjardins or even eleven year old uh, Marie Eve uh, La Rivière, it, it's I would say it's possible. You might say that it you know that's not his target victim, and I would say LaRouche would target anyone. Um, Cabet was 19. His known victim, uh, um, uh, Cornoyer, was 37. Uh, elderly prostitutes were fair game, you name it. In, in fact, in, in um, uh, 2003, uh, he was arrested for sexually assaulting a nine-year-old girl in the Hochelaga Mazeneuve district, which is in the, the far east end of Montreal. And it's it's interesting, the, the, the modus that is described here, I'll just read it, it's from uh, the Gazette, the Paul Cherry article, because it gives you a window into how these things operate. LaRouche forced the girl into his car as she was heading to school on the morning of October 10th, 2003. He assaulted her when she put up a fight, but the girl managed to escape. She was able to remember his license plate, clever girl, and and had noticed a rosary hanging inside his car, details that would help lead to his arrest in 2004. I mean, for me, that's fascinating. And in this version, um, LaRouche blamed it on his um, consumption of alcohol and cocaine, at we presume nine o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning. But in another version, I, I heard it. He explained it away by saying that um, he mistook the nine-year-old girl for um, the daughter of a friend of his, which <laughs> doesn't quite explain why he would then assault the friend's daughter, Claude. But okay, that's that's fine. So. Um, you know what I'm saying is, uh, could could Claude Larouche have um, um, murdered Marichal uh, Chantel Desjardins? It's quite possible. Um, it's quite possible. Much much of the victimology sounds similar to the the nine year old girl here. And then, um, you know, let's not forget that uh, Cabet was found under like in industrial you know, shingles, I think we said detritus, you know, um, home improvement stuff, wood and all that. And um, and that uh, Marie-Eve Larivière was, was found uh, in the Chamity region, also in, in an industrial um, area by a railroad. So there's these, these, there, these references, these possibilities, these potentials that... Um, that that are tantalizing, and we said it before. I mean, it's okay. Okay, so why isn't he charged for these murders, John? If he did it, well, my guess is is there's something wrong with the DNA. Either they don't have it, or through mishandling. Maybe by the time he got to Cornwallier, he got sloppy and he he left DNA, and maybe he was more careful early on. Um, and of course, uh, we've said many many times, uh, if if there's a potential for parole, no one's going to confess. To anything, um, when when the um, the ability to, to be released to, from prison eventually is on the line, so that um, 
that is what uh, I think um, about the, the Marie Chantel Desjardins case. Um, the next time we revisit this, we will we will close it. Well, we will close this article um, with the case of Jalil uh, Campo. But as you'll see, what actually is going to happen is an explosion of cases. Um, we've touched on it, but much. To my mind, much worse or on on the same level of of violence and chaos as the summer of nineteen seventy seven. I could not pray. I felt so doggone. Couldn't get no witness, but I did not know. Then a voice in a whisper said, "You've got to carry it on." And the news is gonna break The news is gonna break The news is gonna break that I am here Ooh. I want to switch gears here for the remainder of the broadcast and talk about a couple of different items that are a little far in the field of um, the cases we track. Um, so the the first uh, item is something I wrote about um, earlier this um, this week on my website. Um, you know, if you go to any of those um, serial killer websites, uh, you know, where they kind of th- very briefly tell you the grisly deeds of the serial killer. You know, they're usually those sites that you know they're all <laughs> blood red with skulls around them, that <laughs> kind of thing, right? I don't really. Um, I don't. I don't tend to troll those things too much. But if you, if you do and and you look on the American serial killer William Dean Christensen, a conventional wisdom holds uh, holds that for a time he was living in Montreal and that he is responsible for the murders in 1982 of uh, Sylvie Trudel and Marielle Gay. That's just um, in, in the. Um, in the lore, I guess, of internet, and I, I guess in uh, almost common knowledge, that's what happened. And to give you a little recap of this, so on April 27th, 1982, uh, Sylvie Trudel, 27 years old, she's found uh, decapitated and dismembered in the um, downtown uh, Montreal apartment of Richard Owen. And Richard Owen is another of uh, William Dean Christensen's names. Um, she's found uh, in in three pieces the, in trash bags. The head is found in a trash bag in the stove. And uh, the torso is cut um, from the lower portion of the body and, and is put in two bags in the wardrobe. Um... And um, it, so you'll find this on the internet, but what's interesting is I got the autopsy report for um, Trudel, and there's actually a, a Montreal police crime scene map that points this out, uh, you know, like in, in French, like there's an arrow pointing to where the wardrobe is, and uh, arrow pointing to where the stove is, this is a <laughs> tête ici, you know, it's quite, it's quite chilling. Anyway, on the same day, April 27th, 1982, police find another body. They find the dismembered body of um, Marielle Gay, um, 26, um, found wrapped in trash bags uh, in a wooded area near uh, Milil. I don't have to tell you where that is because we we just talked about the the rivers and all that. So naturally, they they assume that Christensen uh, killed them killed them both, and a warrant is issued for for Christensen. Um, now I I don't quite understand this, but somehow he eludes capture. He makes it back to uh, he makes it back to the United States. I believe he's now serving a life sentence somewhere for the. A, a Maryland murder, um, but what's interesting is when you like when you read on the internet, it's you know even in um, 
you know, Chris, uh, Christian Gravener on his site, um, Coolopolis states, um, well, he killed these two women. And when I asked him about that, where he heard that from, he said, well, that's just what I heard reported. Um, and even in the book, I, uh, Lee Maylor, the Canadian writer, uh, in his book, Cold North Killers, States later that same afternoon, the remains of 26 year old Laval woman Marielle Gay were found similarly butchered, bagged, and buried in the Millil field. At first, differences in the precision of the dismemberment led police to believe they were dealing with two different killers by April 29th. However, the cases had been linked and a warrant was issued for the arrest of Richard Owen, etc. etc. Um, and and then that finally, I would. So these are these are spotty accounts, but um, the Washington Post uh, talked about it in 1985, and the, the the wording they said is that Christensen was quote charged in the mutilation deaths of two women in Canada, and end quote. To my utter surprise. I, there I am on the Sarté de Québec's cold case website, and what murder are they looking to solve but the dismemberment murder of Marielle Gay? The 1982 Mille Ile case of Marielle Gay, who was supposedly murdered by William Dean Christensen. So this led me to ask, what is what is going what is going on here? Some people had suggested, well, that just shows you the level of incompetence of the Sûreté de Québec. They don't even know that, that Richard Owen, or Richard Owen Christensen did it. And I was like, well, come on, let's let's cut them a little bit of slack here. Um, I I I can't believe that. What I'm what I'm led to believe is. Um, at some point, um, they dropped the the arrest warrant in in Gay because um, they were sufficiently convinced that, um, that that Williamson didn't do it, despite the coincidence of two dismemberments on on the on the same day, or or possibly they're shaking the tree and they want someone to come forward and and finger. Christensen. Although I don't know, I don't see why they would waste the time if he's he's already serving a life sentence in the United States, where life means life, right? It's not not like um, the NIMBY justice in in Canada. I want to comment briefly on um, the the case of Tina Fontaine um, and. Uh, I'm going to try and avoid stepping in it here. Uh, this is a little outside of my realm, but I, I don't, I don't think I can let the show um, pass without at least commenting on the outcome of this very tragic case that occurred this week um, in in Canada. The Tina Fontaine case is very, very famous. She's a 15 year old girl. Uh, Indigenous um, uh, winds up um, in a duvet cover on the on the the banks of the Winnipeg River, and um, in, in many ways the the tragedy of Tina Fontaine's uh, life and 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 the outcomes that in some ways w- were in- inevitable uh, for this young in, in Indigenous woman uh, s- launched the. The Justice for Murdered and Missing uh, Indigenous Woman campaign throughout the uh, throughout Canada, of which currently there's a series of public inquiries finally occurring um, in in across Canada, a series of, of listening meetings between um, Indigenous populations and I, I guess bureaucrats. I I, I don't know. So eventually this guy, uh, Raymond Cormier from New Brunswick, 53-year-old man, um, is charged. Um, but the, the, the charges are largely uh, circumstantial. Uh, he's, he was observed in the days leading up to her, uh, Tina's death uh, in her um, 
in her social company. Um, and in, in, he made many statements to the police that inferred that he had, in fact, um, in a circumstance way, inferred that he had murdered uh, Tina Fontaine. And uh, his the reasoning is because he intended to have sex with her, uh, or maybe he did have sex with her, but when he found out that she was 15, um, he had buyer's remorse, I guess you would say, and um, so got rid of the product, as you'd also say. Um, Tina Fontaine's life is just, I mean, you know, very briefly, as you can imagine, just a product of bad social outcomes in Canada. Um, very quickly, um, you know, at the, the mercy of social health systems in Canada who fail her, the police failed her. Um, there's no way to make an income, so she's destined for drugs and prostitution and finally ends up in a, a duvet cover, which apparently uh, Raymond Cormier owned, or had, people had seen him with it, uh, on the banks of a river uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Um, a jury found uh, Raymond Cormier this week not guilty of second-degree murder, and, and of course, and I understand, everyone went apeshit. I believe the, the, this statement was, there's no justice for indigenous people. And to that statement, I would agree. But I would add to that, there are many marginalized populations that don't see justice um, and that the indigenous are not the only ones. Although, in this case, maybe that is not the time to say that. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, I, I can't sit here after... 14 months of doing this podcast talking about 40 to 50 women who who were all failed by agencies that were spoke, supposed to be looking out for their best interest in, in Canada. Um, and although in the cases we've been talking about, there is not a racial element um, and and that is very very different, and I and I do acknowledge that. Um, but the case of uh, Tina Fontaine is is uh, it's very sad, um, particularly when Cormier. I think I think he had ninety two um, uh, criminal accounts against him. He had a, he had a track record like you wouldn't believe, but. There was there was no proof. There was there was no evidence, um, um, and um, tragically, no justice for Tina Fontaine. Uh, I'll leave you with with this. Uh, so we talked uh, a little bit last week about Sasha Reed. Remember, she's the, the criminology candidate, a PhD student in Toronto, who had done some work on the Bruce MacArthur case, had, had gone to the police uh, last summer and said, you've got a serial killer on your hands. And as we've said, well, maybe a lot of people came to that conclusion, but she had some evidence to go along with it. She has a database um, as part of her, her research um, in her dissertation database on... on um, not only um, victims across Canada, but sort of overlaying that with uh, serial killers across Canada, um, offenders across Canada. And um, as I, I think I suggested, I, I, she, she very kindly shared that information with, with me. And um, we are working together to, to come up with um, some kind of uh, mapping um, resource using Tableau. Um, she's going to be on the podcast next week. She uh, she graciously agreed to Skype in uh, next Sunday. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit next week about her research. Certainly talk about uh, Bruce McDonald or MacArthur, excuse me, the alleged Toronto uh, serial killer. Um, 
and talk a little bit about her her, her life. She, as many people know, is Métis, uh, so of um, indigenous or origin in, in, in Canada, and will certainly have a unique um, perspective in, on things and... Uh, uh, we we will no doubt talk a little bit about the um, the the matter of um, missing and murdered Indigenous women in, in Canada, of of which I am uh, I am the last person who should really address those things. So I look forward to hearing her perspective. That's that's it. That's all I got for this uh, this week. Um, if you like the podcast, please um, give us a five-star rating on uh, on uh, iTunes or any of the other platforms where it's played. Uh, retweet it on, um, uh, you know, every time I post it. Re- retweet it on Twitter or on Facebook. Share it so the information gets out there. I mean, if we're talking today about uh, Mary Chantel, it's a cold case. It doesn't doesn't hurt to to broadcast out to people that hey this is a cold case that still needs needs our uh, needs our attention as I say you can find me on Twitter I'm at justice guy j u s t u s g u y and there's also a, a Twitter handle specific to this podcast at Teresa Allure at t h e r e s a a l l o r e Find us on Facebook at Who Killed Teresa the Podcast. Follow us. That's um, there's a lot of actual visual content um, from this episode that I will post. Um, I'll post it on uh, the the Facebook page, but also on the website. Uh, I have a website TeresaLore.com. T H E R E S A dot com. No, that's not it. T H E T H E R E T H uh, E R E S A A L L O R E dot com. That's the website um, I've had for at least, I don't know, what is it, 16 years now? Um, that's where you can find all kinds of maps and, um, as I say, um, visual identifiers um, for this program. Thanks so much for joining me. This has been Who killed Teresa and have yourself a great great afternoon
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.